0: According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me once again in Philippians chapter 3. Beware of the dogs. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 2. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the... And it says false circumcision. That's the term that the New American Standard chose to go with and it's being contrasted with true circumcision in verse 3. We're going to fix that a little bit and try to address why the the terms are used in the way that they are here this morning. But it might be better to say beware of the mutilation um, uh, for we are the circumcision. The the second word really is the word for circumcision. The one in verse 3 is the word for circumcision. So the the word in verse 2 is not uh I just I, I don't like the term false circumcision. What is that? What's a, what's a counterfeit circumcision? You know? <laughs> Explain that to me. All right. But so there is the word for circumcision, and then there's a play on words that's being used deliberately to be insulting. And so mutilation is probably the best way to handle that. Beware of the mutilation. Uh, for we are the circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in In the flesh. We do not boast in the flesh. All right. Before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer, calling upon our Father and His faithfulness to uh, to bless the study of our Word this morning. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do thank you for the truth of your Word and the blessing that is ours on this day to assemble together to receive instruction. to uh, present ourselves before You as workmen needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So Father, be faithful again. You, you always, always, always demonstrate that faithfulness to open the eyes of our understanding, Father, to lead us in the paths of righteousness for Your name's sake. We thank You, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Alright, so this is the uh, portion of the chapter that we're simply titling, uh, Rejoice in the Lord. And uh, we dealt with that our point point 1, and then we moved on to point 2. By the way, the phrase, rejoice in the Lord, shows up there in verse 1, and then he doesn't get back to it until later, and we'll have more to say on it when we get into uh, into uh, chapter 4. When we get into point 2, it's beware, beware, beware. Bleppo, bleppo, bleppo. The verb is bleppo, it's used three times, it is an imperative all three times. Um, watch out for, beware, and uh, all three of the objects start with K. So beware of the KKK, the Kappa Kappa Kappa, alright? Now it has nothing to do with uh, the white hooded morons, the you know, the racists, the, the KKK as we think of it in terms of the Ku Klux Klan, but it is the Kappa Kappa Kappa, which is, you know, a different thing altogether and probably uh, pro- I don't know, Lambda Lambda Lambda, I don't know, it's, it's a Comedy, stupid movie with a, a a fraternity joke or something, but this is not a joking matter. This is Kappa Kappa Kappa, dogs, evil workers, and mutilation. And uh, and like I say, I think the term mutilation was just a. a, a a play on words. It was a joke. It was a way to insult the Jewish people, uh, and it was a way to make it start with K. See, sometimes if a pastor is trying to do something with alliteration, then he gets a little iffy by that third one just to make it fit. All right, and that's what Paul's doing here. Okay, and so it's the kunas, it's the kaku's ergates, and then it's the um, the uh, mutilation, the katatamine, is what we're looking at there now. We did spend some time a week ago discussing the nature of this warning, and thank goodness, I mean, there are Greek scholars that spend decades poring over things such as this. Um, Not every blepo is a warning. I mean, they're, they're all warnings, but not every blepo is a beware in the sense of beware of an imminent danger. It may just simply be on the lookout, be be watchful for something that is not presently a danger, but it could be if you let it come in, and that's what we're looking at here. And so Kilpatrick and others did some lengthy studies, and actually, I think it's very worthwhile. I think it's very fruitful that uh, that they did the studies that they did to demonstrate that if it's simply followed by an indicative, uh, if it's simply followed on this basis, then it's not the beware kind of thing that we would have elsewhere. And uh, it's more of a do take due note of, like in 1 Corinthians 1.26, 1 Corinthians 10.18, Colossians 4.17. And so even if you soften it away from a beware type translation to just keep an eye on or be mindful of uh, take due note of, it's still something that's repeated three times over. And so the fact that it's repeated three times over gets your attention if uh, if nothing else does. Dogs, evil workers, and mutilation all begin with a Greek letter kappa. And they're all descriptive of Jewish arrogance. From dogs to evil workers to mutilation. And they're all descriptive of, of Jewish arrogance. And really, they flip upside down. They turn it back like a boomerang. They take typical Jewish insults Jews would call Gentiles dogs, right? And, and view themselves as superior because clearly they're Jews, they're God's chosen people, they're better than those than those Gentile dogs. And so the the scorn heaped upon Gentiles as dogs is uh, is is undeniable. It's throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, uh, Jesus encountered even when a Phoenician woman came to him and just said, "Look, I'm a dog, can I get some table scraps?" And uh, and Jesus he didn't dispute the metaphor. He said, "You're right. You're a Gentile dog," but he saw the faith and uh, and, and provided for her there in that in that episode. Likewise, evil doers. Uh, any Gentile is by definition an evil doer because only the Jews are, are God's people. Only the Jews are the ones that are called by God to do God's work to to please God that are pleasing in God's sight. So any Gentile is going to be an evil doer, and uh, and then the circumcision. The idea that, uh, of course. The Jews would say, "We are the circumcision. We are the great people, and this uncircumcised Philistine is going to fall." and And they would they would use uncircumcised as an insult because they, of course, are the chosen people, the circumcised. And so, in all three of these expressions, it's, it's it's built in redundancy, right? Which he said in verse one, he was he was happy to do. He's happy to say the same thing over and over and over again, and so he does so three times here in verse two when he says, beware the dogs, beware the evil workers, beware the mutilation, that uh, he's saying the same thing three different times, saying, watch out for Jewish legalism. Watch out for the Judaizers. And they're not a big deal in Philippi, not yet, but if they want to get started, then we're going to have to deal with it when they get here. So that's kind of the the warning there. So these terms invert typical Jewish bows so as to highlight the spiritual realities. And so by turning it around backwards, By throwing it back at them with the very terms they use, Paul is then able to spotlight the spiritual realities. The spiritual realities are that Jewish people that reject Jesus Christ as Messiah, they are the dogs, ultimately speaking, are they not? They are not sanctified, they are not called, they are not part of the body of Christ, so they are outcast unclean. If you think about it, in in the true spiritual reality, they are the dogs. And likewise, they're the evil workers. They're not saved. They're not in Christ. They're the evil workers. And uh, yeah, they may have a physical circumcision. They may have a, a you know the, the the earthly ritual that they accomplished or their parents accomplished for them when they were eight days old. Uh, they may have a physical circumcision, but they are a mutilation in the sense that spiritually speaking, they have not circumcised their heart. They have they are not humble before the Lord in uh, every way that they are expected to. Expected to there. So that's what we're looking at here. The terms all start with K, as we put up for you a week ago. Uh, Kunas, K U N A S, has nothing to do with. Isn't there an actress named Mia? Mila Mila, Kunas, something like that? Don't know? Nobody knows? Okay, never mind. K U N A S, it means dog, all right? I think there is, and she's not a dog. I think she's quite an attractive young woman that is is noteworthy, for, and which makes it just hilarious that the term kunis is the Greek word here for dog. It's accusative masculine plural from kuon, number 2965. I've only used five five times in the New Testament, not many times, but many more in the Old Testament. Evil workers, of course evil is kakos, and so you combine kakus ergatos, you have uh, workers of evil there. Again, it's accusative masculine plural of kakos plus uh, ergates, for workers. And in both of those cases, they're plural, right? Both of those, dogs are plural, evil workers are plural, and, uh, and for a reason, because there's no shortage of dogs around, they're everywhere. There's no shortage of evil workers around, they're everywhere. Clearly they're plural, there's a lot of them, so watch out for, for all of them. When you get to the third term, though, it switches to the singular it switches to the singular, and that's what's helpful to, uh, I think, lock it into the fact that all three of these are one and the same thing, and that it's not simply three different objects that you have to be on guard against that could all be different things. I think the fact that we went from plural to plural to singular helps us to tie this together, because the feminine singular, I'm sorry, masculine singular, mutilation is not feminine, mutilation is masculine. The uh, kata tamain is the term that's there, kata tamain. Uh, K a t a t o m e n and tamao, tom, tamao is our term for cutting, and um, a lot of things that we have, uh, we have English terms that are ectomies, you know, things that are cut off. Um, we have some some uh, tamao and some uh, some terms there, but anyway, kata, not peri, kata. And that's what happens. The real word for circumcision is peritome. And that's the one that we have in verse 2. I'm sorry, verse 3. For we are the circumcision. We are the peritome. You and I, together, the body of Christ. We, corporately, the body of Christ, we are the circumcision, the peritome. And we're going to be talking about that here this morning. We are the circumcision. They call themselves that. But they're not the peritame, they're the katatame. And that's the wordplay, that's the insult that he does. He, He deliberately turns peri into kata, he deliberately changes the prefix and makes an insult out of it. Okay? And so that's what we have there. Accusative masculine singular, this is the only place in the New Testament where it shows up. It is Strong's number 2699. By the way, when Paul does this, he's not the only one that does this. It's fairly common. In fact, pagan poets would do it. Other philosophers would do it. And I have an example for you out of um, the lives of the philosophers here. If it clicks, here we go. And so we'll start with this. And this is just kind of fun. Um, and these are supposed to be in sync, but I notice they don't sync very well with uh, with the... Um, Pagan literature here. Let me just scroll up to the beginning. Because on the left, you can see verse 24 there. And uh, is it too small? All right. Are you familiar with um, some of these guys? Diogenes, okay? Not a fan, okay? Not a hero. I mean, there might be a few things personality-wise because he was so sarcastic. He was a cynic, one of the, the leading cynics ever. And uh, so as such, I think my, my sin nature and human personality probably would have liked him a lot. But he's not saved. He died and he's in hell today, which is unfortunate. Um, but you can see on the left, you've got diatribe and catatribe. And you've got diatribe and katatribe. And that's the play on words. He did the same thing Paul did. Or Paul did the same thing he did. He took a dia word like diatribe and he changed it out with a kata prefix. Took off the dia and put a kata on there instead of what Paul did when he took a peri and made it a kata, okay? With me and kata me. So that's, the, that's the, the, the word play that he did there to make a pun based on these nouns. Now, Diogenes, if you're not familiar with this, uh, native of Sinope, which is on the north coast of Turkey on the Black Sea, uh, son of Hesius, a, a banker, Diocles relates that he went into exile because his father was entrusted with the money of the, of the state and adulterated the coinage. you know when you 're low on tax dollars, you can uh, monkey with a money supply and and until you get caught and then you 're in trouble. but uh, Eubulides, in his book on Diogenes, says that Diogenes himself did this it wasn 't his father who did it, it was the kid who did it and uh, was forced to leave home along with his father. Moreover, Diogenes himself actually confesses um, in his Pordalus that he adulterated the coinage. Some say, having been appointed to superintend the workmen, he was persuaded by them, and that he went to Delphi, or to the Delian Oracle in his own city, and inquired of Apollo whether he should do what he was urged to do. When the god gave him permission to alter the political currency, well, hey, that's, that's even better, If Apollo says you can, then go ahead, right? When the God gave him permission to alter the political currency, not understanding what this meant, he adulterated the state coinage, and when he was detected according to some, he was banished, while according to others, he voluntarily quitted the city for fear of consequences. Um, Anyway, so there's more on that. One version um, is that his father entrusted him with the money and that he debased it, in consequence of which the father was imprisoned and died while the son fled, came to Delphi, and inquired uh, not whether he should falsify the coinage, but what he should do to gain the greatest reputation. And uh, that then it was revealed that he, it was that he received the oracle. All right. Anyway, by the way, I'm reading, by the way, from uh, Lives of the Eminent Philosophers, and this is just the chapter on Diogenes. And if you want more on this, you can get it. Um, not only is it in Lagos, but it's in the Loeb um, Classical Library. Uh, Laertius is the author's name, Diogenes Laertius. All right, get down to the the play on words here. On uh, reaching Athens, he fell in with Antisthenes, and he was really the father of the Cynic movement. And uh, although I think uh, I think Diogenes outdid him, uh, being repulsed by him because he never welcomed pupils. By sheer persistence, Diogenes wore him out. And once, uh, when he stretched out his staff against him, the pupil offered his head with the words, Strike, for you will find no wood hard enough to keep me away from you, so long as, you think, so long as I think you've something to say. From that time forward, he was his pupil, and uh, exile as he was set out upon a simple life. Um, let me get down through some of these other things. I'm headed for verse twenty-four is where we have the plan on words there. Through watching a mouse running about, says Theophrastus of the Megarion dialogue, not looking for a place to lie down in, not afraid of the dark, not seeing any of the things which are considered to be dainties, he discovered the means of adapting himself to circumstances. So you could think of this as the philosophy of the mouse. <laughs> you, know? you watch a mouse running around, you think, hey, he's got a pretty good life. Uh, <laughs> He was the first, say some, to fold his cloak because he was obliged to sleep in it as well. And he carried a wallet to hold his victuals, and he used any place for any purpose, for breakfasting, sleeping, or conversing. And then he would say, pointing to the portico of Zeus and the hall of processions, that the Athenians had provided him with places to live in. So he was one of the first, you know, the, the urban out, outdoorsmen that we have in our culture today that, that just live wherever and sleep wherever and urinate wherever all that He did not lean upon a staff until he grew infirm, but afterwards would carry it everywhere, not indeed uh, in the city, but when walking along the road with it and with his wallet, so say Olympia and, and you imagine, is this, you know, the idea of the hobo with the stick and the bag on the, on the end of the stick and, and the, uh, the aspects there. All right. There's some other stuff here I probably don't want to read in church on a Sunday morning. Let me get past that. Although I think this version kind of cleaned up a lot of it. That's that's okay. Because, yeah, he did. He was a strange person. Um, all right. He had written uh, to someone to try to procure a cottage for him. When this man was a long time about it, he uh, took for his abode the tub of the Metron as he himself explains in his letters. And in summer, he used to roll uh, in it over hot sand, while in winter, he used to embrace statues covered with snow, using every means of inuring himself to hardship. All right, here we go. This is the, the paragraph now. He was great at pouring scorn on his contemporaries. The school of Euclides he called bilious. The school of Euclides he called Billius, And that's the play on words. And you'll see it in the Greek there. The, um, uh, here's the Tain men, Euclidus, Scalane, that's the school, he called Callane. So the Scalane he called calling. He just took the S off of the front of Scalane and called it calling. And so he would talk about the calling of Euclides, you know, instead of the Scalane of Euclides. That was the play on words. And so Euclides didn't have a school, he had this bilious thing. Likewise, uh, Plato's Lectures, the, the diatribe, the diatribane of Plato, he called a katatribane, he called a waste of time. And so uh, here's the, uh, uh, there he is, there's Plato. And so the diatribe of Plato, he called a, a katatribe the, the diatribane, he called a katatribane. And so instead of Plato's lectures, he called them Plato's waste of time. And uh, was able to achieve that simply by changing the prefix, the preposition, right? At the beginning of the word changing it from dia Tree to cata Tree The performances of the Dionysia, you know, the Dionysius, the god of wine, and all of their festivals, their parties were, you know, drunken uh, orgies and other things. He called them great peep shows. And um, uh, great peep shows for fools is what he called them there. The, the Megalothamata Morois. And so all of these are just different plays on words that he came up with for these different uh, things that were popular in his day and age. Um, Great peep shows for fools and the demagogues and the mobs lackeys. He used to also say that when he saw physicians, philosophers, and pilots at their work, he deemed man the most intelligent of all animals. But when he again saw interpreters of dreams and diviners and those who attended to them Or those who are puffed up with conceit of wealth, he thought no animal more silly. He would continually say that for the conduct of life we need right reason or a halter. (laughs) All right, that's what separates us from the animals. Anyway, so more on that if you'd like, um, just not today. So, this is what Paul's doing. Paul is saying beware the dogs, beware the evil workers, beware the mutilators. And uh, by turning circumcision into a play on words here, he's uh, insulting them, at the same time he's making a point. Yes, they circumcise their boys on the eighth day, but the real realities of circumcision, the spiritual realities of being a covenant people, of having the sign and the seal of a covenant relationship with the Lord God, that is so far from them it's, uh, it's tragic. And that's what he's going to say there. All right. Two more things, I think, related to this. Ah, okay, I was going to swap these around. Let me. Uh, I'll give them to you as they are, but eventually I'm going to swap them around. I, I wanted C to be D, but that's okay. Um, so let me give you this one and we'll call it C. <laughs> While we're talking about dogs, pretend that says C, Jews view dogs as unclean and worthless scavengers. Okay? And I realize I'm on dangerous ground because we have so many dog lovers in our culture, in our local church, among friends and family. Uh, there are people who like dogs. Okay? And you may be among those people. And so I run the risk of, of insulting you this morning. So let me just say, historically, from the Old Testament into the New Testament, from the ancient world, um, dogs were unclean and worthless scavengers. And very few were even domesticated to begin with. Uh, typically for ranching, for shepherding, things of that nature you could have a useful work dog uh, but for the most part they didn't. Uh, dogs were the banes. Uh, of uh, and, and more often than not, particularly when you had so many uh, scavenger uh, dogs and wolves and whatever else, coyotes, hyena, Hyenas aren't dogs. But anyway, the, the scavengers that were around, uh, the risk was that your pets would, would become food or would join the pack and turn traitor. We don't have the domesticated breeds that we have today in any event. Uh, Exodus twenty-two thirty-one, Matthew 7, 6 makes it clear. They are unclean. They are worthless. We don't want to have anything to do with them. And metaphorically, of course, That This is true with respect to what we do in our communication of the Word of God. So we can start with that. Philistines and Arameans likewise joined the Jews in that. It wasn't just a religious thing from from Mosaic law. Gentiles as well had a very low opinion of of, uh, the canine animal realm. Religious legalistic Jews gave this pejorative label to Gentiles and unobservant Jews. Yet Jesus showed grace to at least one dog for her faith, and that's the Matthew 15 story. Paul, Peter, and John were all negative to dogs. So uh, we'll not spend a ton of time on this just so that we are familiar with them. Exodus 22-31. With respect to... Uh, Oh, a variety of things here in in, in Exodus 22. The chapter ends, uh, You shall be holy men to me, therefore you shall not eat any flesh torn to pieces in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. If it's it's found in the field, if it's torn up, if it's, uh, you know, we're not scavengers. We don't eat roadkill, right? If you find it in the wild, already dead, if you didn't hunt it, if you didn't kill it, if you didn 't dress it, drain the blood, and prepare the meat um, if it's if you find any torn to pieces in the field that 's not dinner that 's not for you. Throw it to the dogs that 's the instruction there uh, exodus twenty two thirty one and really, as far as scraps are concerned that 's uh, when that woman came to jesus that 's what she was asking for uh, in matthew seven six we have then the uh, admonition, not to cast our pearls before swine or to give what is holy to the dogs. Of course this is uh, very well known. I've noticed by the way even unbelievers that haven't read a Bible in 20 years or uh, haven't seen a Bible probably in 10 years, uh, they will constantly throw Matthew 7-1 in your face. Uh, they don't know it's Matthew seven one, but you know, judge not lest you be judged. They, they love throwing that out there. And so I like to say, okay then, let's let's look at it because there's a context for that that uh, <clears throat> says that uh, we do judge. Actually, we just judge by the same standard. We hold ourselves to the same standard by which we have discernment one to another, and uh, we self judge. Once uh, the beam is out of my eye, I'm going to see clearly to uh, to take the speck out of your eye. And uh, because we love one another, this is what we do. This is what we do in, uh, as a redeemed people. And so that's the, uh, that's the aspect there. And that's the context then. So when you're looking at 1 through 5, <clears throat> do not judge that you will not be judged, for in the way you judge you will be judged, and by your standard of measure it will be measured to you. So when you have legitimate discernment, that's the standard you yourself are under. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? Behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite. See, the real issue is first judge yourself. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And that's the context for, do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Alright? That's this is our Savior talking. This is a New Testament perspective as it relates to dogs. They are still unclean animals as far as Israel is concerned under Mosaic law. Jesus is still under law, okay? But the principle: do not give what is holy to dogs. What's he dealing with here? Is he talking about literal dogs? Is he talking about we're talking about people. We're talking about interaction with people. We're talking about what we communicate in the truth of the Word of God. And there are dogs and there are pigs, and we've got to be aware of who they are so that we're not preaching at them. They're not going to like our preaching. They're going to they're they're turn and trample us. They're going to devour us. See? And some of the language when you go there's synoptic parallels here in, in uh, Mark and Luke, but in any event, they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Okay? So this is a concept. We want to keep this concept in mind. I think this concept goes well with you know, 1 Peter and always having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and always being ready to give an account for the hope that is within you, yet with gentleness and reverence. That we should be eager to preach the gospel unto all creation, but we should also be careful about who we're speaking, where, when, why, how, and recognize if they're not asking, I'm not, ab- I'm not obligated. See, if they are asking, I'm obligated. In other words, if they're hungry for truth, if there's a legitimate question, if they want to know about, you know, what must I do to be saved, or why are you so happy, or what, you know, if they have a legitimate question about God or the Bible or eternal life or so forth, then you bet, I've got those passages, and I'm going to answer their questions, and I'm I'm all over that. But if they are swine, if they are dogs, if they are hostile if they have no legitimate questions, if all they're doing is looking to trample, I believe not only do I not have an obligation to preach to them, I believe I've got a prohibition against preaching to them. That Jesus told me, beware. Don't do it. Don't do it. And so in obedience to Jesus Christ then, my faith conviction is when I make that determination, That uh, I'm not here to debate, I'm not here to argue, I'm not, where's the wise man, where's the scribe, where's the debater of this age? Uh, He didn't put me here to debate the critics, he didn't put me here to argue with people that don't want to be fed, I'm here to feed the sheep. And so that's my faith conviction as it relates to that. As I say, it was not just uh, the Jews that had this attitude, the Philistines likewise had this attitude, they viewed dogs as unclean, as scavengers, as objects of derision, Here's Goliath taunting David in 1 Samuel seventeen forty three, And David comes out to fight him. And, and, uh, and uh, when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was a youth and ready with a handsome appearance. And uh, the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you have come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his, uh, by his gods. And so of course we know the outcome of this. The Philistine also said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. You know, when, when battles are over then uh, the scavengers feast. That's, that's how it works. And uh, this giant I'm sure had, had uh, fed many scavengers. And uh, and aspects there, but anyway, so that's this this Philistine is not approaching it from the standpoint of Mosaic law. Okay, this Philistine is not godly. He's not holy. He's not you know mindful of clean versus unclean animals and and um, you know following a dietary restriction as a covenant people. He is an uncircumcised Philistine. He's a he's a devil worshipper. He's he's a, an idolater. And uh, but coming from his pagan Gentile perspective. Dogs are nasty. Okay? They're unclean, they're scavengers, and uh, they are pejorative. That means uh, you use them as an insult. Okay? Likewise the Arameans in Second Kings eight thirteen. Another example, Second Kings eight and verse thirteen. <clears throat> and um, Starting in verse 7, Elisha comes to Damascus, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, was sick, and it was told him, saying, the man of God has come here. And so uh, this is where another glimmer, I, I see so many of these where Jewish prophets are being sent to Gentile courts, being sent to Gentile capital cities and kings. Uh, Jeremiah was sent on a world tour and here's Elisha with ministry in Damascus. The man of God has come here. So the king said to Hazael, and this Hazael is the one that uses the dog pejorative. He's an Aramean. The king said to Hazael, take a gift in your hand and go to meet the man of God and say, inquire of the Lord by him, saying, will I recover from this sickness? And so you know, there's a Gentile who's going to take money to a Jewish prophet and inquire of Yahweh. As if uh, Ben-Hadad had paid any attention to Yahweh his whole life. So Hosea went to meet him and took a gift in his hand, even every kind of good thing of Damascus. Forty camels loads. That's a big gift. And he came and stood before him and said, "'Your son, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, has sent me to you, "'saying, will I recover from this sickness?' there's a term of respect, your son, of course not a literal son, but he's showing reverence for the prophet, showing reverence for the man of God, saying, yeah, he might be king, but kings are still subject to God, to the gods, you know, as it were. Then Elisha said to him, go, say to him, you will surely recover. But the Lord has shown me that he will certainly die. So Elisha tells Hazael to go tell a lie. He said, here's the lie you're going to tell Ben-Hadad. You're going to promise Ben-Hadad that he's going to recover. The truth is, he's going to die. And uh, wow. Okay. So he fixed his gaze steadily on him until he was ashamed and the man of God wept. And Hazael said, why does my Lord weep? Then he answered, because I know the evil that you will do. So he's talking to the next king. Hazael will become the next king in Damascus. And he says, I know the evil that you will do to the sons of Israel. Their strongholds you will set on fire. Their young men you will kill with a the sword. Their little ones you will dash in pieces. Their women with child you will rip up. And he sees all this. And the prophet has to, you know, I'd be tempted to kill him right there on the spot, right? I'll you know, Just kill this Hazael guy before he does all those terrible things to the Jewish people. So then Hazael said, but what is your servant who is but a dog that he should do this great thing? <laughs> you know, was all excited. You mean I get to do all that? But what is your servant who is but a dog that he should do this great thing? And Elisha answered, the Lord has shown me that you will be king over Aram. So he departed from Elisha and returned to his master who said to him, what did Elisha say to you? And he answered, he told me that you will surely recover. And then the following day he took the cover and dipped it in water and spread it on his face so that he died. And Hosea became king in his place. So, there's a happy Father's Day message for the morning. <laughs> <laughs> but clearly, dogs are nasty. All right? They're unclean, they're scavengers, they're, they're worthless. And if you call yourself just a dumb dog, just a worthless dog, well then that's That's a statement of humility, uh, even from a pagan viewpoint, uh, without any kind of spiritual norms and standards. Now, religious legalistic Jews gave this pejorative label to Gentiles and, and unobservant Jews. See, the problem is, if you're a legalist, then anyone that doesn't measure up to your legalism just doesn't measure up to your legalism, okay? And so they might be racially Jewish, all right, but they're not observant. They're not even trying, okay. And if you think about it, there's certain applications. uh, Simon the Tanner is one. Other there's other uh, occupations where you're never going to be ceremonially pure. You're always touching dead animals. You're always touching the you know dyes and products of things, and and you're 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 squeezing things to get other things. (laughs) You're never going to be ceremonially pure. So why bother trying? you're just a guy trying to earn a living and raise a family and do whatever. Okay? And who knows, maybe you'll start raising swine. Just I mean, you can make money off it. And you're not going to be clean anyway, so who cares? So the point where you quit trying. You know, for example, the the, the prostitutes. She's never going to be ceremonially clean. When, when is she going to take part in Passover? When is she going to take part in in the feast of booths or anything like that? These are these are Jewish people, racially Jewish, but they are excluded from uh, you know, religious life. Right? From ceremonial purity. And and because they can never be ceremonially pure, they will never take part with a solemn assembly. They will never enjoy their, their sacred feasts and festivals and, and all the rest. And so why bother trying? And so at that point then it kind of becomes an us versus you kind of a thing. And so they would be called Gentiles, they would be called sinners, very common to call them sinners. Or they would be called... Uh, Pigs. They'd be called dogs. Okay? They'd be be treated like a Gentile. Let them be unto you like a a Gentile or a tax collector kind of a thing. And and yet Jesus showed such grace to this woman. Matthew 15 and uh, this Syrophoenician woman Matthew 15, 21, Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And interestingly enough, there was such conflict going on, this is a bit of a retreat for Him. This is kind of, let's just get out of town, let's just go out to the coast, right? I mean, don't you just want to get away from ministry every so often and go to the beach? And in this chapter, this this little episode right here is the furthest away we're aware that Jesus traveled as an adult. He went to Egypt as a baby, but and the furthest he traveled as an adult in ministry was here to the district of Tyre and Sidon. If he made it as far as there, we don't know. But, but he was in that district anyway. He was in that neighborhood. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, Lord, Son of David. Wow. She's got some doctrine. <laughs> what does this Canaanite know about the Son of David? What does she know about the Davidic covenant, the Davidic throne? What does she know about the Abrahamic covenant? What does she know about the Jewish people? You realize, if if you know about the Davidic covenant and you know that Jesus of Nazareth is the legitimate heir, she's done her homework. She's she's, no question, she's a believer. She's oriented to truth. This is extraordinary, and she's a a Phoenician woman. She's, She's. These are the people. This is where Jezebel came from. Okay? We don't know her name, but there it is. Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David, my daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. So she understands angelic conflict, demon-possession, and all these things. But he did not answer her a word. I mean, right? I mean, he's on vacation after all. He's not even on duty. Okay? (laughs) Well, no vacation when you're in ministry, but there it is. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away because she keeps shouting at us. She keeps shouting at us. So, how many times did she say this? Over and over and over again. And I think uh, when it, it's an imperfect tense. So, she began to cry out and it just continued and continued and continued. But he kept on not answering her, but she kept on crying out. Finally, the disciples are saying, Can you get rid of her? You need to teleport her to the moon or somewhere? Just. Make her go away. So he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And this is true as far as it goes, as far as the first Advent ministry is concerned, as far as his preaching, as far as the, the ministry that he had, it was to Israel. It was a Jewish ministry, there's no question. We're not talking about his work of dying on the cross or whatever, that was for all of humanity. But Just for his ministry, for his preaching, for his training of the twelve, for everything that he's doing in his itinerant travels, he was not uh, commanded to stand before Gentiles and say, thus saith the Lord. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. You know, Weren't you listening in Matthew 6? don't throw what is holy to the dogs, don't cast your pearls before swine. But she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from under their master's table. See, she's not quitting, she's not stopping. And this is such an example of the important prayer, of the the diligence in prayer. And so she doesn't deny her dog status Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great, it shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. And so here's Jesus' grace towards at least that one dog with respect to her faith. Alright. Now for the rest of the New Testament, of course Paul in Philippians 3.2 says beware of the dogs. Peter and 2 Peter 2.22 and John are all negative statements. Not one positive dog statement in the Bible. Except for maybe that woman right there. 2 Peter 2.22 and this um why we have to uh quoting from proverbs you know a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire the same language dogs and pigs dogs and pigs don't throw the the what's holy to the dogs or uh, your pearls before swine and uh, this is the uh the aspects there uh Revelation twenty two fifteen, outside are the dogs. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the fornicators, the murderers, the idolaters, everyone who loves and practices lying. The new heavens and new earth, every unbeliever is gone. They are outside. They are outside the dimension. They are in the lake of fire for all eternity. And they're called dogs. Outside of the dogs. Alright. So that's main point C. Like I say, I, re- I renumbered C and D. So let me get back to the new D. There was no synagogue in Philippi and no significant Jewish presence. So this triple warning serves to watch out against such religious legalism from even beginning. There was no synagogue in Philippi and no significant Jewish presence. We can prove this from Acts 16 verses 12 and 13. There was no synagogue. His his normal practice on the Sabbath was to go into the synagogue. But there was no synagogue. So instead he goes down to the river and down At the riverside, he found a place of prayer. So, putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a colony that is a Roman colony. And we were staying in the city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. There were women there and they had assembled and they had assembled for the purpose of prayer. But no synagogue. Remember the Jews have been expelled from Rome and and the suspicion is uh, that all Roman colonies likewise followed suit. That not only were they expelled from Rome but they were expelled from Roman colonies. And so as such no Jews in Philippi, and uh, anyway, so then they find Lydia there and some others, and uh, ministry goes on, but no synagogue, no significant Jewish presence. It'd be like you know, um, warning about the dangers of something in a city. Uh, the, the warning about the dangers of uh, uh, oh, just pick a pick a rare country that there's nobody here that from there, right? So. Uh, we were posting, we got flyers all over town warning people about uh, Fiji, okay? And, and then somebody stops and says, well, how many Fijians do we even have in Austin anyway, right? Or, or Vanatu or Tonga or some, some real obscure South Pacific island. There's, there, there, there's probably none or, or maybe one or two, I mean, uh, as far as that goes. How many are there really here? Do, do we have to worry about it? See, uh, probably don't have to worry about it. You know, um, or a warning sign about uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex. Okay? Um, been extinct for a while, uh, not really a big big problem. Okay? Well, that's the thing here. When he says, look out for these, this Jewish legalism, and he says it three times, it's not a present danger. Not a clear and present danger. But if it does arise, the day that it does arrive, know it for what it is on day one and have your eyes open to it. Know it for what it is on day one and be mindful of it. Take due note of it. And perhaps even just be thankful that you are where you are because It was in, uh, remember it was in Thessalonica that the Jews ran him out of town. It was in Berea that the Jews ran him out of town. It was in Ephesus where they raised no small disturbance. They started this riot in the marketplace and had him arrested. That in all these places where Paul was going, it was the Jewish opposition that was getting him into more and more trouble. So he's warning Philippi three different times to watch out for these guys. And uh, Man, they can be thankful that in the Roman colony status they had, they didn't have that large uh, population to deal with. There, yes, sir. Would the Philippians have had the advantage of the teaching of the end of Romans two or the middle of uh, Romans four? Uh, about no. Uh, well, I don't believe so. Uh, at the unless you unless uh, so. The, let me repeat the question for people listening in MP3, would the Philippians have had uh, the material from Romans chapter 2 and 3? And the answer is no. I believe the answer is no. Um, But that comes too in in terms of when do you think Philippians was written? Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Um, The traditional date that it was written very late after Acts 28, after the two years imprisonment or during the two years imprisonment Uh, then they very well might have had uh, the access to to Romans. They would have had a copy of Romans. But if the prison epistles were written earlier on the third missionary journey from Ephesus then that means Philippians is written first. That means Romans isn't written until after Philippians, Colossians, Philemon and, and, uh, and Ephesians. So that's a real question. That's where we find the affinities and when we find the affinities between 1 Corinthians and Philippians, which we pointed out, that really, really argues for the the early date on Philippians and the Ephesian origin. And and there's so many 1 Corinthians affinities and no Romans affinities that we have there. That's a great question. All right, so I know the screen says C, but that's our new D. I meant to swap those around, I apologize. Uh, There was no synagogue in Philippi and no significant Jewish presence. So this triple warning serves to watch out against such religious legalism from even beginning, from even beginning. All right, which takes us now to main point three. We are the circumcision. And go ahead and make it a capital C if you want to. I think it's useful, like we do with the body of Christ as a capital C church, right? Right? We are the circumcision even as Christ is the Passover. And so when we read Philippians 3.3, for we are the circumcision. We are the circumcision. It's it's curious to me because this comes let's let's turn over to 1 Corinthians 5.7 and remind ourselves of this. In a in a context here where Jesus is our Passover, First Corinthians five six. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump. Okay. And when we taught this, we had a lot of fun with it because we learned how to be lumps. Okay? We want to be a lump, but we want to be a new lump. And we want to be a new lump that has the leaven all cleaned out. And in this metaphor, all right, Christ, your Passover, our Passover, has been sacrificed. So that's verse 7. Again, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7. Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump Just as you are, in fact, unleavened, for Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. And so the the whole doctrine of of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and everything that goes into Israel's uh, ceremonial worship, all right, month of March every year, or March, April every year, in the springtime, okay? um, was the was the the Passover and the and the feast of unleavened breads and, and uh, the seven days that follow Passover eight days total related to that? And now Paul is taking that teaching and bringing it forward and giving a spiritual reality for the church age. Christ, our Passover has been sacrificed, has been sacrificed, and so there is a fulfillment. Of, uh, of all the Old Testament shadows and the doctrines and the teaching of what that represented that comes forward now and is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, so we need to make the literal application, the spiritual application we don 't want to get lost in the liturgy we don 't want to get uh, you know uh, 'm trying to think of an r word uh, we wrapped up in the ritual <laughs> that 's a w actually okay lost in the liturgy or wrapped up in the ritual. We don't, want to get, we don't want to get confused over these things. So Christ is our Passover. All of the ritual pointed to Him. And so we want to clean out the, the old leaven. We want to be a new lump and, uh, and that. So that's the metaphor, okay? And just as there was that metaphor to the Corinthians, now there's a circumcision metaphor to the Philippians. Got it? So there was a, there was a, a Passover and leaven lump metaphor to the to the Corinthians. On an equivalent basis now, we have a circumcision metaphor to the Philippians. And Paul's not telling the Philippians that Christ is our circumcision. He tells the, the Philippians, we are the circumcision. We are the circumcision. And that's exciting. Okay? You ever want to be a lump? You ever want to be a circumcision? Alright. And so um, again, back to the plan on words. They think they're the circumcision but they're the mutilation. We are the circumcision. And so I don't like the little helping words of true and false and whatever. Let's just get rid of those. Um, we are the peritome. We are the circumcision. And then, here's what we do. We worship in the Spirit of God. We glory in Christ Jesus. And we don't boast in the flesh. We don't boast in the flesh. So three things describe us as the the circumcision. Described this way. Alright? So um, aspects on this. So point A. We don't have a Passover ritual, but Israel did. Christ is our Passover in the sense that the spiritual realities of their Passover are our realities in Christ. And I hope that makes sense. If not, we'll we'll touch on this again Wednesday night and we'll even have question and answer time on Wednesday night. Christ is our Passover in the sense that the spiritual realities of their Passover are our realities in Christ. And we'll spend some time in Exodus 12. We'll remind ourselves what Passover is. Passover is the required sacrifice by which the destroyer passes over and does not destroy. (laughs) All right? That the kinsman redeemer sees the blood, the kinsman redeemer or the destroyer. you know, same word, whatever translation you want to use. The Goel sees the blood and he passes over. If he doesn't see the blood he kills the firstborn son. And that's designed to teach as well. It's all designed to teach. But when he sees the blood, he passes over. He does not destroy. And there's, that's, that's, that's a powerful doctrine, right? Because now we bring it into the New Testament, and when Jesus looks at you, or when the Father looks at you, what does He see? He sees the blood. Right. And it's not just a ritual. It's not the blood of a sheep that's been spread on doorposts or a lintel. It's the blood of His Son. The blood that was once and for all shed. The eternal blood See, Once and for all. So all of these spiritual realities become our realities in Christ. And so we, we, we're going to understand how uh, Paul relates it there. So we'll, we'll deal with that Wednesday, Lord willing, and rapture pending. I uh, appreciate uh, Lewis covering for me last Wednesday. Did you do a and a time? No, no Q&A time. All right. So we'll do a Q&A time this coming Wednesday and then uh, pick up right here where we left off. Shall we pray? Father, I do thank You for Your truth. I thank You for Your faithfulness. I thank You, Father, that we would understand our position in Christ as the circumcision who are we, Father? We are the seal and the sign of our relationship with You by faith in Your Son. And I thank You for that. I thank You, Father, that it's a reality, not a ritual. I thank You that uh, we have we function in the spiritual and the heavenly places in Christ. That we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And so, uh, Father, open our eyes to see how beautiful these things are, how we can worship in spirit and in truth, how we can glory in Christ, how... Um, We're not waiting for a glory to be revealed someday. We are living this glory today. All day, every day, it is a glory to walk with Him. So Father, show us these verses, show us these truths, open our eyes that we can walk accordingly. And if any of us are boasting in the flesh, Father, then uh, drive that far from us. Uh, We're going to boast in the Lord, nothing else, Father. We have no credentials of which to boast, but uh, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So we thank You and we praise You, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, this is our fellowship time between now and the